welcome back to the 16 millimeter film crew podcast i'm cindy and i'm dale you can watch us on youtube you can like our videos and comments on them as well as subscribe to our youtube channel you can support us on anchor you can listen to us on itunes google music and spotify at 16 millimeter film crew podcast you can follow us on Twitter at 16mm Crew Podcast and on Instagram at 16mm Crew. Mm-hmm. Okay. This week we watched Marvel's Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. It is directed by Destin Daniel Creighton, who also directed Just Mercy and Short Term 12. So the synopsis of this film is that a martial arts master. Shang-Chi confronts the past he thought he left behind when he dro- when he's drawn into the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organization. It's starring Simu Liu and Aquafina and Michelle Yeoh, Benedict Wong, you know, people. Um, some of the Marvel people you've already seen in like other Marvel movies. Okay, so let's talk about our first impression. Damn. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I loved it. I loved it a lot. Like the biggest the biggest takeaway from me with the movie was I'm happy that you know it's not another Marvel movie that's dependent on the previous ones. Where it doesn't necessarily you had like it wasn't one where you had to watch the previous movies understand what's going on like it's not even though it's set in california it's not it's not like they decide to show a scene of you know when they're chilling at the restaurant you see ant-man and stuff going by you know like because he would the both movies are set in the same location i thought that was good um yeah wonderful origin story might have been too long in some places because it's like two hours and 15 minutes i don't think it mm-hmm. had to be that long but all in all i did enjoy the movie yeah i enjoyed it too I really knew nothing about this. Like, I had never heard about this in the comics because I'm not, like, into the comics like that to know. But I was excited that there was going to be, like, an all-Asian cast and they were going to have, like, basically their Black Panther moment where it would just be focused on that. But I like that, um, I don't know. It was just, I like the action. That was, like, the best part of this movie. The action was so good. And even though the runtime is long, I didn't feel it that deeply because I was very engaged in the story. So it wasn't like, and I, y'all know me, I don't like long run time. Like I just, I'm an hour, 30 minutes girl, like keep it short, cut the fat. However, (laughs) this was, this was pretty good. Like I didn't feel it that deeply. I think on rewatch, it would probably be worse. Like I would probably feel it drag a bit, but initially in the theater, I enjoyed it. Them. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, I don't know, I was Simu. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. I do apologize for pronouncing it right now. I did a wonderful job as the lead. I I the one thing I do like about his character is even though he does get responsibility thrust upon him in a way, he doesn't inherently change that much. And it's and I think that was a good thing about this movie. Well, because with Spider-Man, Spider-Man is like, oh, he's always going to be a teenager. His struggles are kind of in the grand scheme of his struggles a kid would go through. I thought this movie was really appropriate with their age ranges because they're like their college grads. But they're still like in that phase of trying to figure out who they are still like 
she like before when she's in the middle of the fight scene uh aquafina's character which i must admit when i was assumed aquafina was gonna be new i didn't expect much but she's like two for two with disney movies involving dragons and water powers so good look good looks on her for that um but yeah the fact that they're still trying to figure out who they are and they're like oh my parents say i have a master's degree my parents are don't like my job choice i thought that was like really relatable especially when you're in this industry that we are like my parents are jamaican or like all some of my friends like doctors and stuff or like my sister does engineering while this sister does med- like is doing like medicine and stuff and like hey you're the artist kid aren't you like you know i i related to that very much especially being a child of an immigrant you understand that there's always pressure on you to succeed and go and beyond beyond so i thought that was really relatable to me um but yeah i did love that like and especially considering that the age range marvel movies like it's a family movie but that focal group is honestly that millennial age range who actually did grow up watching the cartoons who did watch the cartoons so i thought that was really really good good work with them making the characters kind of fit that mindset yeah i think it was definitely relatable i wasn't like a huge fan of aquafina being in the movie i was just like uh really but i guess like i guess we have to deal with it yeah it's just one of those things um she wasn't as insufferable as she is in other movies like she was kind of okay in this one um she was kind of just like along for the ride I like that they didn't have a romantic relationship. I like that it's just platonic. That was a really good job because usually they're always like shoved, all the women are just shoved into like the girlfriend role. So very happy that didn't happen with this. Um, I loved, I don't know. I I think with origin stories, you kind of know what you're going to get. Like it's a very like by the numbers, like you know, like how it's going to start, you know, how it's, how it's going to progress and how it's going to end. But still, I enjoyed it. Like, even with the elements that I knew were going to happen, I still liked it. And I think that's because Simu is kind of likable. He is very charismatic. And I think he brought a lot to the role. Um, I'm not sure about, like, the emotional, like, parts where he had to be sad or something like that. I don't know about those moments specifically. But in terms of the charisma you have to have to lead you know, a movie like this, he definitely has that. Plus, his action performance was so great that, like, whatever issues I might have had with any other parts, especially, like, in the middle where things kind of slowed down a bit, it doesn't matter. I think he still did a great job. I loved the um, accompanying class. Like, I love all the supporting characters. They were really fun to follow. I loved his sister. She was great. Um, I'm trying to think about, like, beat by beat. And I think the stuff that he has with his father, I didn't like the father character, the Mandarin, just because, like, he's just bitter like that's his character his character is like i lost my life and so i'm just gonna destroy the whole world or release her village and it's just like okay i mean mean, that's that's that wasn't it i mean yeah grief can be a major motivator negative or positive you know we've seen that with wandavision wanda's grieving Mm -hmm. she mind controls a whole town and becomes a villain that aspect you see with um with Killmonger and Black Panther, beef of his father being killed and being abandoned, how that kind of carries over. And they even mentioned the fact that even though he's grieving for his wife, what's controlling him is the the rings, the objects he's wearing to free their real master, that kind of thing. Um but yeah, just they're using they're using grief as a, a 
powerful motivator. Because remember, his his original intentions was just were just power. He was content with just power. So, mm-hmm. and his focus of finding that ancient city originally was to gain its power, and then became I want to free my wife driven by driven by grief. I thought that was really touching. I did like the fact that um, if you're a Star Wars fan, you kind of do pick up on it. On how Disney mimics the beat with Shang-Chi and his sister. There's a thing with Star Wars fans where um, Luke is Padme. He's the kind, caring person. And Leia is more Vader. He's more quick to anger and stuff like that. And you saw that mimicked with these two. Where after not getting the love and attention from her father. She kind of pulled almost... Honestly, this movie reminds me a lot of Avatar as I watched it. Um, like she copies Azula. Like she's like, okay, if I can't get your attention as my as my father, I'm gonna take over your empire. I'm gonna prove my point. Which in the beginning you seem that's like a a girl boss kind of move. Like oh, you didn't get respect you wanted, so now you're gonna build your own empire. But then you see at the end she's no, it's not because she wanted her father's respect. She also wants power as well. So I yeah, so I I did like that as well. Yeah, it, yeah, it was very Avatar esque, especially the um, the fighting style they used. Yeah, for her for that specific village, it was yeah. very like Airbenderish. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It felt like a lot of that was like sprinkled in there. There was a little Dragon Ball sprinkled in there. Like they were, they kind of used like references from other shows and kind of like put it in there. Well, I, I mean, nice. it's good because it works because you know they said with yeah. this show they got there was movie like. We've seen Marvel kind of tiptoe with it with um um was it dang that show is so bad I forgot the name of it wow um Danny Rand um I, um Iron Fist oh you saw how they they tried to tiptoe and avoid the Chinese mythology aspect whereas with this movie they embrace it full heartily and because they decide to embrace Chinese mythology we can make those references to like you know Dragon Ball Z and Avatar because those shows pulled from those things as well so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really liked that. Um, you said something I completely forgot what I was gonna say. The daughter? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Actually, in the beginning, I didn't really like that whole like girl boss energy thing, especially because when you have to say it, it just it feels it loses its effect. Like it's just like okay. Um, but um, over time, I, I think she kind of just let that go and what she really got to do now she's like in charge of the 10 rings yeah. organization she's over it i don't know what that means is that good or bad um i don't know um but <laughs> that's that's the path she's on now um yeah and i also like how they alluded to events that's happened in marvel history without like feeling like you said like hundred percent a Marvel movie, although the comedy in it definitely brings it down a bit. Um, those constant jokes really that's how you can tell, like, okay, this is a Marvel movie. And I kinda wish they just wouldn't like certain movies I feel like you can get away with that. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is a movie where the comedy fits that style of movie making. Something like this or something like Black Panther or like other stuff, it just feels it just weighs it down. I don't feel like you really need those constant jokes kind of thrown in every couple of like every scene, whatever. It's just like, especially when the character was his name, who was an um, Iron Man, Wong. the fake Mandarin. Oh, the fake yeah. Mandarin. Oh, that no. was um, Terry Sad- Sadderly, the, the actual actor. 
Um, yeah, ben Kingsley. So, like, his introduction was good, but like he was just kind of there, and he was. Just, I think he was supposed to be comedic relief, but it wasn't really. I mean, I would have been fine. I, I get you're saying the comedy, like we've had a discussion for, like Marvel kind of does undercut the seriousness with too many jokes sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Like I thought at the end, like him faking dead kind of works. But when you have the Ivan Drago dude, because it's the same guy, I'm saying Ivan Drago because I don't know, I forget, I forget the actor's real name from um, Creed. Um, he's there and they're fighting the monsters that are escaping. Spoilers if you haven't watched the movie, we apologize. Um, and he's like, oh, we're the strongest. We don't need your help with weapons. And one of his guys dies. He goes, oh, never mind. Like that kind of. And yeah. you have the guy who was in, if you didn't realize, the guy in the bus was in Spider Man as well. Yeah. He was the hot dog guy, like, hey, Spider Man, do a flip. It's the same guy on the bus. Yeah. Like, in the beginning of the fight, in the beginning of the fight starting, I could see you making jokes on your recording because, you know, that whole world star lifestyle. But once you see the fight's getting serious and the bus is getting cut in half, I think in the back of your head, you're going to keep recording, but those jokes are not going to be right. flowing as frequently, you right. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I do know. That's exactly true. Because, like, you're, you're probably scared that you're about to die. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. So I didn't love that. I did love the production design. This movie is freaking beautiful. Like, this joint looks really good. Um, and again, just all the fight core. Like, I'm wondering how long it actually took for them to learn all of it. Because those are some... And the thing is, the camera really stays with these with the action pieces. So you're not, like, really cutting a whole bunch of, like, times between different scenes. Most of these are like long takes, so that means you gotta learn and do all the moves precisely for these takes. Like, and I'm just like, how long did it take for you guys to rehearse this? Like, that joint looked mad difficult. They had like footwork <laughs> and hand breaks. Like, I was like, Whoa. I mean, I do. I, I think. I think. I think they're. They said they were pulling more from you know those kung fu movies as far as mm-hmm. filming the fight scenes. Some shots I don't feel worked as much, like when they started going, rotating the camera overhead, and when if they're fighting mm-hmm. a crowd, all you see is the back of the actual person who's attacking. Those kind of scenes, I don't know, I felt kind of disconnected because I'm a person, like, I love watching, like, Jackie Chan fight scenes. You kind of get the whole room and the environment they're in, so you see how close they are together. If you you cut to something, it's usually their footwork stumbling back, or their impact of them falling, and then you cut back those kind of things. I do believe they kind of went a little too much with the cut. Like it wasn't as bad as like let's say Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, where they're trying to make Batman look as a, an amazing fighter. But because Christian Bale is not that kind of physical actor as far as fight scenes, they cut those scenes. They chop those scenes really rushed to make it look like Batman's mm-hmm. going over place. It wasn't as bad as that, mm-hmm. but I do feel like there are a couple of many cuts to a degree some fight scenes okay yeah i mean it i mean those cuts those cuts okay the like the bus fight scene those cuts work to a degree because he's going yeah. he's going inside they're the bus outside the bus but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's just my yeah. opinion so i'm sure that's true and like other the one that i was thinking about was the bus fight scene for sure yeah um i don't know about like I like the one when they're in uh, Macau and he's fighting the masked ninja. I don't know what his name is. Um, I liked that one in the background. Purple. Of like, yeah, yeah, that was that was good. Yeah. Um, the one in the scaffolding when they're on the side of the building, 
I wasn't yeah. hugely a fan of, but it was still entertaining. Like I was yeah. entertained. It was just like, yeah. And it went on for a little bit too long. And I was just like, mm, okay. Um, but yeah, I also liked the fact that Wong was in this and he was fighting that thing. And then they were just like, it's okay. Like we'll figure it out next time. Like, I guess they're, Friends or something. I don't know. I thought that was. I mean, funny. I, I thought that was funny too, because you know, Wong. He's like in the comics. He's relegated to being um, Doctor Strange's sidekick to a degree. He doesn't really mm-hmm. get to do much. So it's good to see in these movies that you know, because you know we know Doctor Strange's ego. He's like, listen. You see, at the end, we see him seat talking to um Shang, uh, the Hulk, who is no longer Professor Hulk, which doesn't make any sense at all because it means the transformation to Professor Hulk meant nothing if he's regular Bruce Banner but that's another thing and then Captain Captain Marvel like he's basically he's their main science I mean magic guy instead of going to Strange because Strange of Strange's ego and he's also like yeah I'm gonna just be a prize fighter and fight the abomination for money around the world so I thought that was funny given the kind of actor that Benedict Wong is he's really good with comedy roles as well they kind of fit and made sense so yeah, I like that. Um, I was wondering while I was watching, like, where does this take place in, like, Phase 4, you know, going forward with the rest of the Avengers and the Marvel timeline? I guess it takes place, like, eight months after this, uh, after everyone comes back. But I was also wondering, like, if this movie was going to take us into the Eternals. Like, if what we were seeing in here was going to be, like, a precursor to what we're going to see in that movie. Um, I didn't see anything that I can think about because the thing that they're fighting is like not it's not a dragon they use a dragon but it's like some weird thing cthulhu-esque kind of thing yeah yeah and i was like okay fine i mean and that's (laughs) that's that's my only curiosity in it because after Mm -hmm. you watch loki you think okay the villain's gonna be another um is you already know the villain? You assume, you know who the villain is because of Loki, but then with you know mm-hmm. Wanda, you assume it's going to be another villain, and then with Doctor Strange, we're not sure. With the Spider Man movie, we're not sure who the villain is going to be, and then with this movie, you're still now you're further unsure of who the movie is going to be. Like to me, like based on all those things, I think they're to me as a composition, I think they're shying away from the whole Mephisto side of it and probably dealing more with the nihilists and the negative zone that kind of thing because it's technology they've never seen or heard of it makes sense to me at that end but i actually and i do appreciate that because of what all the other content marvel and disney have put out it's less you can see what they're trying to do but it's less linear can't really see the direction it's going with phase four so which is yeah. what i like yeah it doesn't seem like there's gonna be like a big bad like a thanos but then i don't know yeah because like, like what you said they're setting up like so many different <laughs> big bads that we don't know like who yeah. it's gonna be, which is interesting i mean i guess they want to keep us guessing so yeah i'm guessing uh there anything else no i mean you know? oh i don't like the flashbacks either some one of some of them are important other ones i'm just like mm. okay but yeah go ahead i will say this between and i find it funny the movies that focus on the min- minority groups, as far as Black Panther and um, Shang-Chi, the two leads they picked are really charismatic and draw you in compared mm-hmm. to the other outside of Robert Downey Jr. because Robert Downey Jr. Out of all the other actors they've picked, those two, between Chadwick and um, 
Semi or Shumi, I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. They have this natural charisma that draws you in, which I really appreciate and enjoy watching in a way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that too. I, I like what I like is that this movie, one, is doing well. <laughs> I really love that. But two, I also love that. Um, this was like a long time coming and I think that there was definitely a group of people who felt like they did not see themselves in their superheroes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we as a culture got ours, it's important that they get theirs too. And for all the other groups that are the other minority groups that aren't represented, they also deserve that. And I don't know. It's interesting how this movie was like rolled out because there were, questions about like if it was going to do well and maybe we should put it on Disney plus and like this is our experiment that they kept saying and the actors are getting mad because they were like this is like this isn't what that is like you can't just say well let's take the Asian movie and see whatever it does and if it doesn't do well then okay we're going to move around our major properties so that they get more shot it's just like it's so weird that in this day and age you still feel like the only thing that sells is white. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me because it's like, how many times do you have to, like, prove that that's not the truth and trust that what you have is good? Like, you and you can market it well and you can have other directors who do, like, that's, I think it was named Dustin, Dustin? Yeah, Dustin does, like, smaller movies. Yeah. So did Chloe. So does the girl, the woman who did Black Widow. And, and I'm saying, like, you give these properties to more indie filmmakers. Ryan Coogler is one of them too. And then you, and then you let them do what they have to do with the movie and kind of just not be so like hands-on just let their vision happen. It's going to be good. Like, and I think, and I think that's when Marvel has found the, the best success. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the Russo brothers, they paint by the numbers kind of thing with their directing with their, in their stuff. It doesn't, you know, if you want to have one director for like the trilogy of this hero, fine. Um, but you can't have him be the director of the that trilogy and then the director of the big team up movies was what they were doing. Because um, you've seen it with um with um the team up movies when um Josh Whedon was directing it, it kind of got really repeti- repetitive, kind of kind of a way. Um, when you see it when um even though bad or good when you saw iron man when they went from john favreau to shane black um iron man one was amazing iron man two was iffy um iron man three was kind of a but better than iron two iron man two but not as good as one that kind of thing but the, you at least you saw different directors put their own touch and feel and they're distinctively different seen it with um mm-hmm. like you said with ryan particularly much with taika watiti from you know mm-hmm. four from thor one and two which Thor one is a good story. Thor two got a little iffy. Thor three with uh, Watiti and four going forward, you can see his the, the, he brings more life to that world and those characters. Mm-hmm. I thought, which I think is a really good thing. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you just basically say we're gonna assign this director for the team of movies and these directors to do the character stories, um, and keep it that way. Or you swap in and out and give everybody their chance to put their touch on it. So. Yeah, and, I, I'm, and I'm happy to see yeah. Marvel moving forward in that direction because I don't think the movies would continue to be as successful if we continue to get the same thing over and over again from the same group of directors. 
So yeah, yeah. 100% agree with that. And I think that's all I have to say. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? I mean, no. I mean, it's it's a wonderful movie. Um, mm-hmm. and I do get what you're saying, like, because in the back of my head, I was like, it being two hours and fifty minutes, they could have, you know, cut it up to a series, but it only makes sense if they had planned it to be a series. I do think in some places mm-hmm. they could have trimmed the fat. Um, I don't think as many cutbacks and flashbacks to the past were needed as much. Right. Like, there's there needs to be a fine balance. Like, we have this conversation a lot with show and tell. There's a fine mm-hmm. balance of showing and there's a fine balance of te- telling. I think they kind of did a lot more showing in this movie. Um, but mm-hmm. to get the balance is almost a science. So, um, yeah, and I'm happy this movie did well. It broke, like, like this probably might be an early like box office segment spoiler, but it broke the um, Labor Day weekend record, which is the mm-hmm. all-time record. So that's amazing. Um yeah and you know like you were saying there was trepidation before from marvel like they had three weeks there from the past three weeks before this movie was out they were wondering what to do with it well if it does well how will it affect eternals you know they were up to the up to release week they were still thinking about mm-hmm. pushing back eternals based on the results of this movie i'm happy to see it do well um but yeah this might be um early recommendation thing but it also goes toe and toe I think with a movie I watched this weekend which I'll go over Snake Eyes which kind of didn't do as well and so I guess with Snake mm-hmm. Eyes they were like depending on how this movie does will affect what they do with um, uh, Eternals because you know they're going off that Black Panther hype of all the black people showed out for this movie you know so maybe all the Asians will show out for this movie um, which you know I feel was wrong in Disney's part because you have to remember that we're in the middle of a pandemic. So, and it's a global pandemic. It's not like this movie is being released here. It's being released everywhere. Particularly with this movie, the biggest market for it is going to be China and Asia and that whole region. And they're having difficulties with the pandemic as well. I really thought leading up to this movie that Disney should have tempered their expectations. And when I say temper, I don't mean, oh, expect it to do well, but not like deride the movie. Because even, um, I'm probably going to say it again. The lead, the lead actor, I don't want to mess up his name, but even tweeted about it like, oh, people thought we were going to do bad, but look what's happened, you know, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm happy for it being. Yeah, me too. Okay, what are you rating it? Oh, I'm rating it a 10 out of 10. Um, I love the fact that it's not connected to the bigger Marvel Universe. You could watch it on its own and don't have to worry about it its connection to anything until the end of the movie, which I thought was really well done. But yeah, um I probably want to see it again. You know, yeah, wonderful movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give it like an eight out of ten. I really enjoyed it as well. Loved the action pieces. It looks great. Um Simi was very charismatic and yeah, if you love like kung fu movies or anything like that, like you're gonna enjoy this because there's so much of that in there, and it's light enough that you don't really need to watch any of the previous stuff to know what's going on. So you can kind of go in fresh and just enjoy it for what it is. And I definitely recommend that everyone goes to see this movie. So here it is. <laughs> okay, so you know, got a little, little, got a little hint of the box office. A while ago, but yeah, like I said, you know, this movie broke the record 
it made um 71.4 million just in north america which they said mm-hmm. shatters the record um making this making it um the biggest open over a three-day weekend um and also making it the second highest grossing film of the covid era so it broke the all-time record but for this whole covid time with movies having difficulty it came in second just behind black widow it made 80 um 80.3 million back in july so i thought that was um well um but even though this movie was particularly just in theaters and black widow was also um on disney plus in theaters um this movie is going to be on disney plus i think 45 days after it's run so by the time the end of the month comes so when it's like fall actual fall or winter everybody will be able to watch it at home and get their repeat review and um i think it made like 13 billion just in imax alone you know mm. amazing amazing numbers uh um so for the domestic uh numbers for this whole past weekend of course you know the number piece was uh shang free guy you know drops down a second um drop down a second uh candy man took up the third spot if i think well let me double check sorry uh yeah, Candyman. Candyman ended up dropping out actually. But no, yeah, number one was Shang Chi. Number two was Free Guy. Three was Jungle Cruise. You know, so now so they're also getting a sequel as well. Four was Paul Patrol. Five was Don't Breathe. So was High Squad at six. Black Widow at seven still. White House Protege and round out the top ten. So, you know, typical Labor Day weekend kind of numbers. Of course, the biggest movie um, brings in the most bucks. We'll see how it does for the rest of the week when we come back next week. I think it's probably going to maintain that spot. Um, right, right now your leader for last week is Candyman still. Free Guy at two and Pop Troll at three. So we'll see how those numbers change once we get an update for this past week on Shang-Chi. But I think Shang-Chi will probably still be um, first and Candyman will probably drop a second. Box office snippet. Yes. So, in Saturday news, um, Michael K. Williams had passed away at the age of 54. He was in The Wire. He was in Lovecraft Country. I think that's it. I think he was, like, nominated for an Emmy, actually, if I'm not mistaken this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, they found him in his apartment in Brooklyn. But there is not any, like, news about, like, how he died or anything. Yeah, they're, they're saying it's probably... um. A fentanyl overdose, um, which is a real thing. He's mentioned before. He mentioned before multiple times that he had issues with drugs. Um, you know, everybody's addicted to something. I just don't want to say, hey, drugs are bad. Everybody has an addiction to something. Um, everybody's going through things because people have shared videos and have mentioned, like, if you're a random person in Brooklyn, you enter talk to him. He's very, you know, warming and welcoming everybody's going through something even when it looks like they're not so yeah especially right now with yeah. everybody being stuck either at home trapped in trapped at work or you know not just that but also dealing with just covid you know we were, we're coming out of a control four years ago with you know last four years of presidency and now we're still rolling into that dealing with covid so these past six or so years everybody has been on edge for a minute so yeah main, maintain your mental man so that's all i can say on that 
and there's just a lot of death going on, which is like really sad, especially if you have dealt with addiction before. I know because I know there's like other stories. I know um, John Mulaney, who was also struggling with addiction, he also relapsed. So like this is a really tough time for people who have those issues because it's like there's not there are resources. Most of them are online. But when you're isolated like that and the world is burning, it just, it feels really awful. And fentanyl, is that's rough. Like, that's some hardcore stuff. So, like, you, like, that will legit kill you. I think Mac Miller died from that, too. So, like, yeah. It's extremely sad because he is such a beloved actor. So many actors love him, have worked with him. So this is really, it's tough. It's another punch to the acting world to the black community so i just hope everyone in his family is okay yeah um so we got an update i know everybody's kind of trepid or concerned about the mr miss uh mr Mrs. smith series starring um starring i think starring and produced i think with um phoebe waller bridge and donna glover um, she's dropped out of the pro- the series. I don't think she's starring in it. They haven't said if she's leaving on a, as a production standpoint. Um, she said it's. They said it was due to creative differences, which kind of does make sense in a weird way, because her, even though they both of them have said they they like they like working with each other, their comedic styles are kind of very different, like. Donald is kind of observational in a way about life as like a black man and your that, that kind of thing. So I was kind of weird to see how that those two styles would would uh, adjust. You know, they're both observational style comedy, but it's two different wheelhouses. Like their audiences are two different audiences in a way. So, but yeah. They had such great chemistry when they were in um, that solo movie. And just off screen, like they seem like they're really great friends. So I was really interested to see like what their movie was going to be about because I like both of them a lot. So that's mm. that. <laughs> I mean, they both still have they both still have individual deals with Amazon still. So we're probably mm. she's probably going to have a, a project up there. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I want to know your thoughts on this story, Dale. So Rose. Mc- Gowan, Gowan, yeah, Rose McGowan. She was on Charmed. That was my show back in the day. Anyway, um, she called out Oprah Winfrey. So this is what she said in her tweet. She said, "I'm glad more. I'm glad more are seeing the ugly truth of Oprah." And she added, "Oprah, um, I wish you were real, but she isn't." From being pals with Weinstein's abandoning and destroying Russell Simmons victims, she is about supporting. A sick power structure for personal gain. She is as fake as they come. Hashtag lizard. So, um, any thoughts? <laughs> it's expected. Um, Rose McGowan is one of the more vocal people with these things. Um, she's become less famous for acting, more famous for speaking out against rape and sexual abuse. Um, people don't mm-hmm. remember she had a very high-profile relationship with. Um, Marilyn Manson, who later on came revealed, was very abusive in their relationship, so she's always very outspoken with these things. Um, I kind of do agree with her in this sense. Um, 
for and it's weird worse because oprah's a woman and she's a black woman to not really say anything about harvey weinstein knowing that they were friends um russell simmons that kind of thing is really embarrassing in a way and i can't say i don't ex- i i kind of expect these things to a degree from everybody in hollywood i mean you kind of saw the same thing happen with felicia rashad beloved beloved actress and she was willing to go to bat for bill cosby you know sometimes if you're friends with very divisive people you're better off just not seeing anything at all you know um but yeah I mean, I I hate to say I agree, but I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Oprah's always been a little off to me. And if you watch like her, the Oprah show, you'll kind of see what I mean. Like those episodes did not age well. Yeah. The interviews that she's conducted with people has not aged well because she's very, um, she asks questions that are incredibly intrusive, but also like demeaning and condescending as, as well as well. Like, it's like, what are you really getting at Oprah? Like, it's just, I don't know. There's it's, she's done some really weird stuff, but that Russell Simmons documentary, which I did watch, she was supposed to be involved in that. And she backed out. Why? Because Russell Simmons is a friend and Russell Simmons is black. So she's like, hmm, okay. And that was really messed up. Because, like, how do you say that you support women and victims of these type of crimes? And then on the flip side, when you can actually support them, you choose not to. Like, that doesn't make any sense, Oops. And she is, she was friends with Weinstein. And she didn't even, the fact that you can be in that industry and not know what he's been doing makes absolutely no sense. Like, that's a lie. Like, that's just a straight up lie. So everybody knew what that man was doing. Yeah, no, it is it's disheartening considering that, you know, she... You know, has you know, journalism background. She was a news anchor before she transitioned to talk show host Oprah. And I feel like a lot of talk show host people aren't really there to learn. They're more for to engage in general reaction. They're trying to go to into saying something negative. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it sticks out to me when she was interviewing Prince Harry and um, Meghan Markle. She was like, "Were you mm-hmm. silent or were you being silenced?" Like she's looking for sound bites and clips and stuff like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah and you know working in an industry at the level she is you should, it's gonna be a thing. Oh. yeah not a fan of that I wasn't even like yeah I didn't I wasn't too hot on her interview with them either because I was like girl can you stop I mean, acting like you don't know what's going on with you? she wasn't as Anyways, bad as like Jerry Springer but she was still yeah wanted the tea like she wanted the tea just like we all wanted the tea like and I can't fault her for that because like sometimes you just love mess like I get that everybody loves a little mess but what she's doing here is different it's not entertainment or anything like that like she's just outright being not caring about like whatever is not in her in her immediate interest she's not interested in so that's that. What's yeah. the next story? Um, so yeah, our man's Arnie Hammer. Um, so apparently, his family is really weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying is, I mean, 
I he's my man is because I like Man from Uncle. I think he's a good actor. He's because you like Call Me by, by Your Name. Um, apparently, Discovery is doing a limited series on his whole family, a part of a multi-million, a multi-project deal with Talos Films. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it's gonna talk to I guess Casey Hammer, which is the granddaughter of Armand and Arch uh, Army's um, aunt, and. Yeah, it goes into like some weird stuff. It's not just his recent controversy. Um, they're gonna be talking mm-hmm. about his great grandfather who was convicted of first degree manslaughter with a Russian wife who died in an abortion. Um apparently an uncle of his, I think, or I don't even know, who was a wealthy industrialist back in the day who was tied to the Soviet Union and friends with Prince Charles and he killed a man in LA, like their whole like that family has a lot of skull. It's surprised he made it this far into Hollywood, knowing all that stuff in the past. You know, are you surprised? I am a bit surprised. I mean, it's not like it's not like we're talking about the Kardashians here. You know, who yes, they might be annoying, but people watch them. You're talking about two people who murdered people. Um, I guess is. Aunt Casey was talks about being sexually abused by the I guess Julian Hammer when they were kids and how they like like come on that's mm, that's a bit surprising yeah well I think that the Hollywood that Army entered when he started acting exact is the exact kind of environment that wouldn't care about mm. stuff like that. You know, because that's not really their focus. And I don't, and I honestly feel like if he had never, like, did his little stuff, would we even be talking about this right now? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, would there ever be a docuseries? Would he, would we be looking at him in this light? You know, he probably would still be working. Like, you know, it's not. So I don't, I think this whole thing just illuminates not only whatever was going on in his family, which, wow. Um, But just the industry that he was flourishing in, kind of. He kind of had a little... He was never really, like, Hollywood's leading man in a way that, like, I don't know, Chris Evans or Chris Pine, one of the Chris's are, you know? He definitely hadn't reached that spot, but he was still doing well for himself. And... I read the Vanity Fair article about this, and yeah, it was wild. <laughs> and the fact that he was able to continue working despite any of his family um, associations is just indicative of like Hollywood itself and him just being an attractive white male. Like that really, that's really what it'd be coming down to. Like, no one cares about anything else if you're attractive and you're white and you're straight and you're a man. Like, that is the thing. I'm still gonna watch this Dyson series, by the way. I don't slip <laughs> that in there. I will be watching it. I mean, and it's not like he's not working because I think he has definitely Nile is still in post production. I think he has a movie with Tiger OTD that's also in post production still. Like he's dropped out of projects, but those are the two most the two I still think that are going to theaters. I'm not sure. Well, he's not if, working right now, but yeah. I mean, like he doesn't have work. <laughs> he's worked. In the past, 
you know, past tense. So, but yeah. Yeah. So okay. yeah, that's just a weird story. Really, really crazy. I honestly would recommend people go read that Vanity Fair article um, because I don't know when the show's coming out, but you should read that first. It's very interesting. Anyway. So Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow lawsuit may stop the Russo brothers from directing another Marvel movie. Um, apparently, um, the Russo brothers um, have been putting off returning for another Marvel movie. The publication signals that the duo hit an impasse with the superhero studio due to, jo- to the Johansson case. So I, I'm wondering if they're not doing it because of just how the situation's unfolded and because they're loyal to Scarlet or were they planning to bring her back in another movie and that's why they're not doing it? I don't really know what's going on here. I I don't know. But knowing how, you know, um, like they mentioned reading, uh, reading Civil War, uh, A Secret War, which, you know, is what they're kind of hinting toward with Captain Marvel that that would be happening as well. Um, and you mm-hmm. kind of they're talking about the scale of all the characters, so it'll be once they got another situation like Avengers where everybody comes back, we know exactly what I'm dealing with all this time travel and ultimate dimension kind of stuff. Scarlet would probably pop back up, or anybody who died would have probably showed back up, so they might have brought her back in some kind of capacity. Um, it might mm-hmm. also might be that they probably do agree with her in a way because just like the actors, these directors do get paid box office percentages in their contracts. So, you know, and they're, they're in negotiations for the other movies. So that just signals like, okay, we'll let it, we'll let it slide with, well, we'll we, they don't know about their current contract because, you know, Avengers Endgame came out before the pandemic happened. And so they're mm-hmm. probably looking like, okay, look how, look how what the world is right now can we say two, three years down the line when we're doing the next team up movie, will it be over? You know, are you just, and even if it is over, are you still going to shoehorn me both on Disney plus and in theaters kind of thing? So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, especially, and especially after, you know, um, um, Emma Stone recently got her contract mm-hmm. redid with Disney or mm-hmm. Corella two, which I don't know why Corella two is happening. But yeah, right. so. Well, yeah, she used that situation to leverage, yeah. you know, getting more money for this sequel, which was, I mean, I'm not going to lie, that's kind of smart, but. <laughs> I don't know why the sequel's <laughs> being made, but, you know. No, yeah, yeah. Completely unnecessary. First of all, the first Corella was completely unnecessary. No one asked for it, not one person. So. But, I mean, listen, get your bag. Like, I get it. Like, do what you gotta do, whatever. <laughs> um, and on that note of, you know, girl boss moves, um, apparently, um, Patty Jenkins decided to fire shots at everybody and everything, um, in regards to her film. Um, she spoke about her frustrations making it, not just making it, but dealing with the creative issues with it, like she mentioned at one point. They were talking about the end scene with the production. They're like, well, you have to wait. It's not in color. The effects aren't there. It's not going to look the same. All the, all the movies that look on streaming platforms, fake, look fake looking. 
um, and she kind of blames the loss that it made. Um, she blames the loss or the negative reviews of Wonder Woman 1984 um, on the fact that it was streaming, which is ironic because before the movie went out, both Patty and Gal Gadot got signed bonuses for going mm-hmm. to HBO Max. But now that everybody knows your movie is bad, wanna, you know, flip the script and blame everybody else. Um when you look at when you look right now, there are other movies that have done well that did both. Suicide Squad did well, did both. You know, Black Widow did both. Um it, like I don't know your excuse is invalid. And I'm I'm and it sounds rude and it sounds disrespectful, but I don't think Patty is that good a writer or a director. Um her last major major project was Monsters like fourteen years ago. Mm-hmm. And she like and I know a lot of directors they do a movie, they do a couple shows. But when she was doing shows, she was doing like one episode of this show, one episode of another show, and it was inconsistent. It'd be like three or two years in between each show. It wouldn't be like, oh, I'm gonna wreck five episodes of this show. Um and then in two thousand seven she did Wonder Woman and which did amazing, but when you look on the writing credits, the person that did a lot of the writing was Zack Snyder. And then you go on and you see her that characterization of Wonder Woman in that movie shows up in his version of the Justice League movie. So that just says like she didn't really have to do much by herself when given Wonder Woman. And it's the same with Monster because Monster was already auto was a biography already. Not much writing got to do to translate a book into a movie. So yeah, I don't I don't think you know I don't think Patty Jenkins should be behind the camera or behind a a word editor ever again sounds rude but you come on you spend 14 years behind a project i can understand if it was like one project and you didn't did nothing ever again but 14 years between two you do good do, do two do two good projects it's a biography that's basically copy and the writing's done for you by somebody else you finally get a project to do by yourself and you you burn the ship down like come on that's yeah yeah, I have nothing to add to that. That's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we could talk about Venice for a little bit. Mm-hmm. First off, Dune premiered at Venice, um, and it got what a five-six minute standing ovation. Yeah. I heard that correctly. Um, which yes, <laughs> can I just say that like I. I was reading some of, like, the earlier views. I wasn't reading them in depth. I just read, like, the headlines of them because I don't want to know anything that happens. I just want to kind of... I mean, I already know because I read the book, but I want to kind of be surprised when I watch the movie. Yeah. And the critics were being, like, harsh. And I was so confused because I was like, what are what are you even saying right now? Like, stop being haters. Like, that's just the hateration just bleeding into their work. Like, you can appreciate something for its greatness. Like, don't... They were like, it's so great and so epic until it's not. And I was like, this is why people hate y'all. Like, because <laughs> you do stuff like that. Anyways, um, obviously Zendaya looked amazing. Timmy looked great. He is so cute. Um, and I, I was watching some of their interviews while they were in Venice. And there's some stuff in there that they were talking about. And I was like, oh, I don't remember that from the book. So I'm actually very excited to see what this movie is going to be. And hopefully there'll be a part two because that's how 
it's been made. This is just the first part. I'm pretty sure it'll be the second part, but hmm. So that was great. And in other news, Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain had their little cute hubby wife, work wife, work husband situation on the red <laughs> carpet. And the internet is like losing their minds. And I was like, why are y'all freaking out? Like these people have worked together before. Like y'all acting like y'all never seen these people ever. Like what's going on here? They're just very sweet and cute. And I love them both very much. Yeah, the reviews I think for Dune were like, "How dare you show these characters where there's no one you could really, you know, cheer for, or root for?" Then everybody was like, "Oh, that means this time they're following the book," you know. <laughs> so, so when the critics are trying to make it a negative, and it turns out to actually be a positive, that's like that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm look I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, I'm one of the movies I'm looking forward to is I think Cyrano, um, directed by um uh Joe Wright. Wright. It's got our boy Kevin mm-hmm. Harrison, Peter Dinklage. I'm looking forward to that. It appeared on Telrid, I think, to good reviews. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm looking like you know, festival season just ended, award season just ended, and it starts back up like it never ends. It's a it's a circle, it's all year round. But you know, at least it gives us something to look forward to, especially after the the year and a half we've had with nothing to really look forward to as far as that though so yeah movies are back it's exciting um and lastly drake dropped certified lover's boy thoughts i mean my only thought on it is you know um i mean to a certain point i think every artist reaches a point where they kind of don't grow with their audience to a degree. I mean, they catch, they get sounds that are still catching and prevalent. To me, I can't really tell the difference between a lot of Drake projects. Like, to me, it sounds. I think it's also because I was already about the same age as Drake when he came out already. So I wasn't like, mm-hmm. I wasn't like, and I think that's it for me. Um, and I wasn't in that, the stuff he was writing about wasn't in my mind. It's coming out. So I couldn't, you know, relate to it emotionally. Um, I have no my only issue with this and you know him and Kanye is put my man uh Andre 3000 in the middle of it with that song man like that song is like like his verse is like a real guard like he poured his heart about talking about his mom and you know and like listen to that song you like it'll put like tears in your eyes because even if you don't have your mother in your life You'll think about her if your mother is in your life and you're getting older. You think, dang, my mom's not gonna be here anymore because she's getting like it was a real gut wrenching song. And like uh, he like spoke about wanting to be on both albums and he couldn't for Drake to like leak that. And then Kanye also recording a verse that's just like whatever. I'm just gonna district the whole time is like really, you know. yeah. yeah. I've only listened to like maybe two songs on that album. Um, and I, I don't know. I I can't say anything about it because I haven't listened to the whole thing. But what I can say is that it was fine. Like, it wasn't bad by any means, but it wasn't, like, great. Um, the song I listened to, one, he had Kitty Cuddy on it, and I did not like that song. I don't like Cuddy's vocal performance on that song. But the other song I did was the one he did with Travis Scott and I think that like towards the end Travis's rap performance got a lot better but like the, the song in general I wasn't like 
I wasn't moved by it. And listening to Donda was just like, what is this? Like, this, this sounds like you were rushed. And it sounds like it didn't really try to finish any of these, most of these songs. Like, some of the songs actually sound done, and some of them are just, like, instrumentals, <laughs> which is fine. But, like, can they be good? Like, I don't know. It was just... These are, like, the most anticipated albums, some of the most anticipated albums for this year. And I don't know how people feel about it. I don't know how people feel about Certified Lover Boy, but <laughs> I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been moved yet. So we'll see. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's really it. That's it for the news. Weekend recommendations. What did you watch? Um, I mentioned before that I did watch, um, uh, dang. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe. Um, and in watching it, I mentioned before, I could see why Marvel was concerned with getting, not Marvel, but yeah, Marvel was concerned about Shang-Chi. Um, because it's a bad movie, and I feel bad saying it's bad. Um, because I feel like a good movie is there in some, in some degrees. I thought the cast did what they could with it and couldn't really do much beyond what they did. Um yeah. Um I feel bad for Henry Golding because I love Henry Golding. Amazing actor, you know. Um watching him in Gentleman, watching him on Crazy Rich Asians. Um clearly there there's a, he has a lot of talent there. Um and Hopefully this is like it's not gonna be the end for his career. It's just gonna be a blip in it. Um, but yeah, I, I I want him to be in better, better things, you know. But yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, I guess that's why I did what I did. Mm-hmm. All right. So I watched seventy-eight fifty-two Hitchcock's Dower Scene, which is a documentary on um Hulu, and it's basically like breaking down that iconic shower scene from Psycho. I, this is like, this is a documentary you watch if you really are into this like film stuff. Cause like, I feel like I've never heard of this documentary ever. And I feel like it's because the appeal of it is not for everyone. (laughs) Because it's just like talking about very technical aspects of how you make a movie and how they created that scene. And unless you're into that, you're just gonna be like, what is this? But it had, um, what's his name, Elijah Wood in it. He was just like one of the commentators. Like there are people who worked on the film, plus like just horror film lovers who were commenting on Hitchcock, the scene itself, the actual movie. And that was kind of interesting to see like how all that stuff got made, especially when like you think that something like this got made in like the early 60s where there were very, uh, there were like a lot of censors and stuff like that. So the fact that they were able to like get away with what they were able to get away with in this film and that it made the impact that it did and it's still culturally relevant is very impressive I have to say it's very it's very impressive so watch that if you're like into that stuff but I don't know if I would recommend it for everyone like (laughs) if you're into it you'll enjoy it I I like how the title is like a quick nudge hat the amount of cameras and the cuts were for, were for that scene because you know it's even though that scene is three minutes long it does 
they said they use like 78 different cameras and or 78 different camera setups and like 52 cuts in a three minute scene you know which you think a shower scene or shower stabbing scene shouldn't take three minutes but somehow hitchcock drug the crap out of it so yeah so basically what they were saying was that like they made that scene as if it was its own movie yeah so he put a lot of like time and resources into just that because he knew that was going to be like the pinnacle of the whole thing so yeah it's interesting <laughs> if you're into it it's interesting but that's it from us um and we'll be back with the card counter next week which um I think debuted at Venice. So we'll be talking about a little Venice film festival stuff next week. And then after that, and we got the Emmys. Yeah. Wait. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the Emmys. Patrick the Entertainer is hosting it. Emotion. Um. Yeah. So. Yes, the Emmys are coming up. Very, very <laughs> excited. <laughs> we hope you're all doing well. You're taking care of yourself and hope that you have a good week and make sure to check out all of our social media and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Au revoir.